0: Now a two-on-one for the Rangers. McAvoy is back. Buchnevich with Fox. And McAvoy breaks up the pass. Puck played by Marchand. Breakaway moving in
1: on Georgiev. Marchand beats and scores!
2: Hey now, welcome to the Sportscasters Podcast. My name is Steve Bennett. It is February 18th, 2021. I'm in Buffalo, New York, and this is season 11, episode number four of the Sportscasters Podcast as we are moving along here in season 11, the 10th year of the Sportscasters. How about that? Uh, Listen, good show today. We have Jimmy Kimmel's cousin, Sal. On the podcast today, we're going to do that interview first. Uh, in a second, and uh, it's a fun, a fun get. I, I've listened to cousin Sal. You know, he's kind of from the Damaschek, uh Corolla Simmons world, and that's kind of where my roots are in podcasting. You know, my connection in the beginning to Dave damashek was huge for me. My relationship with him, uh, which is why it pains me so much that there isn't one anymore, but. Honestly, that's on him. There's nothing I can do about that. He thinks I wronged him with a tweet. I really didn't. He won't even let me explain it to him. So it is what it is. But in the beginning, he was so important uh, to this podcast, and you know, he does a pod. He think he owns a podcast with Sal, uh, and it was great to have Jimmy, Jimmy, or uh, Jimmy's cousin on Sal, who is doing a uh, uh, a book tour. Uh, his book is uh, – I'll mention it in the book club, but his book is, uh, is why he's out there and why I got him. Also on the show today, Michael McCarthy from Front Office Sports is going to talk sports media with us. We'll do that after the book club. And it's a really interesting interview with him because he broke the story about OutKick and Jason Whitlock leaving OutKick and why he left OutKick. And he broke another story about the Tony Romo of golf possibly being Phil Mickelson. And we talk about Super Bowl ratings. It's just like a loaded sports media. And I've had sports media guys on recently, like, right? Uh, Deitch has been on. Before that, Brian Curtis has been on, who, by the way, I was busting his balls about not writing. He has a great column out right now on Ringer about. Jim Nance and what's going to happen with his contract which I'm sure is really interesting to Joe Buck who I believe is signed through 2021 so he'll be the next big free agent after Nance signs Uh, so it'd be nice I'm sure for Buck if Nance sets the market pretty close to Roma which is like 17 million a year I think Buck's at like five or six Buck is going to be on soon or he says to me so we'll see if if Buck is on soon, but there's a lot of really interesting sports media stuff. We'll talk about that in the second interview with Michael McCarthy, and then I'll do one last thing. I, I'm not sure what yet, but a few ideas. And, I, you know, I got this, I think I've said this. I use this app called Evernote, and on my Evernote, I have this kind of list of ideas for one last thing. And when I put them on there, I sort of really start to work on them in my head. And then when the music is playing and it's time for me to do it, I'm like, all right, I'll do that one. And then, bam, I do it. So we'll see. Uh, But before we get started on that, I guess first things first. Today, you know, I played the clip of the Bruins scoring an overtime winner. And I would have loved to have played a Sabres goal, but I can't remember the last time they scored a goal. You know, the season was shut down for a few weeks. And... Look, it's just—it's not—it's just not. I just first things first is I don't even know what to say about the Sabers, you know. And I think people are so frustrated that the idea of even having a rational discussion about them is sort of out out of the out of the realm of possibility, you know. The the word the Sabers fans, understandably so, are so past the point of. Well, they played pretty good, but they didn't win or whatever you would say. You know, they've played 10, 12 games. They're four, six and two. So there's, you know, four and eight basically. And they're dead last out of eight teams in the division. Now, most of the teams have played, you know, three, four, five games more than them. Two, three, four, five games more than them. So they have games in hand. But for that to matter, you have to win. I think I saw they've they've won like nine, nine of the last, or four of the last 22, just some painful number. You know, everything, everything that, everything that you would want to talk about with them, it's just so, it's so brutal, you know, like, so... Guys aren't scoring. Jack isn't scoring yet. You know, Hall isn't scoring. You know, Olofsson is scoring. Reinhardt's not scoring. Most guys aren't scoring. You know, people are giving up on Dalene already, which I think is a huge mistake. Nobody likes Ristolainen. Everyone wants to trade Jack now. Oh, Jack's going to demand a trade. We don't like Jack. You know, the goalies are supposed to stink, but they've been all right. But then eventually they probably will stink. So then we'll hate them too. You know, I like the coach, but people don't like the coach because he doesn't play Jeff Skinner where they want him to play, and Jeff Skinner's not scoring, and Jeff Skinner has scored like nine goals or something since they signed him to a $10 million deal, which was obviously a mistake. Although, you know, in retrospect, I don't know what they were supposed to do, let him walk. You know, that would have been, so they would have traded O'Reilly and then let Skinner walk? I mean, I guess in retrospect they should have, but what would the narrative have been then? I'm sure they felt backed into a corner. You know, and it looks like uh, Dylan Cousins is good. Dylan Cousins, I don't know why I keep saying Cousins. Dylan Cousins is good, Uh, but not good enough yet probably for it to matter. You know, Middlestad has been disappointing. Another guy, I think it's too early to to give up on, but plenty have. You know, and it's like they need, like starting tonight, Jack Eichel to play like the MVP, Hall to sound like a guy who wants a mega deal in the summer. You know, Darlene to play, like, the next great defensive pro. They just need it. like, at some point, can everything just come together for this team? You know, Eric Stahl needs to not look old. You know, everything just needs to click for them. It's like, can they ever just go on a run? I mean, they had that run in the beginning of the year. A couple of years ago, they won 10 in a row and then, you know, didn't win another game the rest of the year. And they're, like, the only team ever to have a 10-game winning streak in a season and not make the playoffs. It's like, just put some wins together. Score some goals. Man, it's frustrating. And everyone's frustrated, so everyone's making these outrageous takes. You know, let's trade Jack. Let's fire the coach. Fire the GM. Trade this guy. Trade that guy. Get rid of Darlene. He sucks. Everyone's just frustrated. That's what it is. Everyone's just frustrated. Frustrating team. I don't know. I don't know what else to say about it. But it sucks because the passion for hockey here is so great. You know, and when the, those arenas start to open back up, it'd be great if they opened up for a really good team and there'd be playoff games again. And, I mean, geez, if you just want to know what it's like, search Sabres overtime winner 2006 playoffs, you know, and watch the arena after Danny Briere scores or something. Man, how long ago does that feel? What year was that? 2006? Damn. If you had a kid that night, he's 15 years old. 15 years old. Embarrassing. Anyway, good podcast today. In a second, we'll take a break. I'll come back with Jimmy Kimmel's cousin, Sal. Sal Iacano. Then we will do the book club update. And then we will talk to Mike McCarthy from Front Office Sports, and then one last thing. All right, we'll be right back with Sal. My first cousin. guest today is maybe the most famous cousin. Probably him or Kirk. He's making his first appearance on the podcast today. He's got a great new book. And he does a podcast with our own Fred Dave Damaschek, and he's nice enough to spend some time with us today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to cousin Sal Iacono. Hey, Sal, how you doing today? Good. Thanks
3: for uh, thanks for having me. You know, you, you pre-recorded the, the intro, so you might have said some terrible things, and here <laughs> I am coming on all jolly. So
2: I have to trust that uh, everything's kosher. <laughs> you can't you can't lose them all, is the book. Yeah. Uh huh. And. Um, why now? Why now a book? How did it come about? Is there a backstory there?
3: Uh, Yeah. My uh, my greedy agent figured he could make 10% of like uh, 600 bucks. And <laughs> he's like, you got to do this baby doll. And, uh, you know, actually, you know, Bill Simmons, a friend of mine, we do a podcast together. And um, he said, he said, now is the time. And I just sat and I thought about it. I was like, I've been gambling for like 35 years. Let me see how many stories that work telling and I had like close to 50 stories. I was like, all right, um, let me let me do it now. Let's see what this adds up to And I get everybody has a very short attention span. So I made each chapter like four pages long and, uh, and it somehow added up to a book.
2: Yeah, it's a really easy read. It seems like gambling over the last, I don't know, three to five years, maybe even a shorter period than that, has kind of crawled out of the underground, you know, into the mainstream. I mean, I don't know if seven years ago maybe even less than that, you would have had a show on Fox Sports that's as boldly about gambling as yours is. You know what I mean? Do you think Yeah. 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 No, what do you think it is?
3: I don't know. I mean, it's not my book. My book had nothing to do with it. No, no. I
2: I think maybe it paved the way for the book to be as, you know, to be, you know, maybe seven years ago it might have been a little bit more, oh, it's about gambling, I don't know. Where now it's like, oh, sports gambling, we do it on apps. In some states like every other play now you know it's just become so much more a part of the of the culture i think and and it seems like someone who's been gambling your whole life um since video poker with your aunt way back in the day like how has it changed gambling or kept gambling the same for you or or how how do you think things have changed as it's become more on the front line of the culture
3: yeah, I mean, it definitely is. It helps that it's legalized in several states. I think 11 states have, like, you know, uh, access to mobile. Um, it's uh, it's kosher in 11 states, and that's going to balloon up to, like, 30 states. And I like to compare it to the marijuana laws, you know, especially, like, here in California. Like, when there's a stigma attached, people are going to do it on the sly, right? They're going to gamble, but they're not going to talk about it, or they're not going to gamble or not going to smoke. And then you legalize it, and all of a sudden, as is the case with my cousin Jimmy Kimmel's show, like um, – you know, every fourth guest is going to talk about vaping in his or her patio, you know, and uh, whereas, like you said, five years ago, there were only a few punchlines. It was Sarah Silverman, it was Woody Harrelson, it was Willie Nelson, it was Snoop. And now it's, like, you know, more acceptable. Same thing with gambling. You know, ex-players are talking about gambling. They are more familiar with the point spread, and some were familiar before but didn't want to say anything. So I think as more and more states legalized you're going to see that um, accessibility to players and, and, and names. Like, oh, my God, he gambled, she gambled. But that's great. And, um, you know, the, the pregame shows are embracing it more. And um, and it's and it's all over television. There's no denying it.
2: Right. It's like back in the day, Jimmy the Greek would, you know, give his score prediction to kind of as a nod to the spread, right? right? Like the he would predict these scores like 20, 29 to – 18 or something like where do you come up with that it's like oh it's because he wants you to know that he thinks they're gonna cover right you know but uh, yes and he
3: would also he would signify with his fingers sometimes somebody wouldn't give a score so he would be like the eagles over the cowboys but small and he'd put his two fingers together close and if the <laughs> co- eagles were favored by like seven and a half you knew not to take the eagles you would take the cowboys uh, figuring they'll they'll lose by three according to jimmy
2: yeah and you said what it's 11 states and i think you know, coming out of COVID, as states look to make up revenue that was lost, right. you know, that number is just going to keep going up and up and up, you know, until Absolutely. maybe everyone There's but Utah states, or something.
3: Yeah, they were going to slow play it. Maybe there was a plan, you know, don't put it on the docket, don't vote on it, you know, but, you know, it, it is free money. I mean, I think New Jersey did $900 million, it took in 9 million, $900 million. That that's not their cut of it, but. Um, that's free money, you know, if they keep 5% of it, that's their take. And, uh, you know, so you can't really say no to it or something that you're going to eventually, um, you know, legalize anyway.
2: Right. I know it's definitely been fast tracked in New York, you know, mm-hmm. um, this year as they look for a way to make up revenue. And it seems like That's the other
3: thing, New York, Texas, California, Florida, those are four gigantic states and none of them have, have uh, legalized it yet. But once that, once that ball gets rolling, forget it, you know, you'll be able to, and like I said, you know, um, there's so much hypocrisy It begins and ends with the NFL. Roger Goodell, you keep your seven year timeline in there. Seven years ago, he said there would never be a team in, in Nevada. Right. Well, not only is there a team, the Raiders, the Raiders, the NFL team, but, but there's going to be kiosks where you can bet in the stadium, live on the game. So, um, yeah, they really turned things
2: around. Yeah, that's unreal to think about. You know, there's an NHL team there. There's an NFL uh-huh. team betting <laughs> betting in the actual stadiums. I want to go back. Right. I want to go back. So I grew up in Buffalo, New York. But I'm nice. a New York. I'm a New York guy. You know, my my territory. I'm a loyal WWF territory guy. You know, that's my New York's my market, <laughs> and I know you grew up. Uh, grew up in the early days, you know, pre-Hulkamania even, uh, for part of that. Loving yeah. Roddy Piper. And and I just wanted to take you back and talk a little bit about about the WWF in that era and going to shows in the Garden. Let's do it. Yeah, or Nassau yeah, County Coliseum. It. Do you remember your first show, your first wrestling show? I got a, a great one that I was at to tell you about. But uh, do you remember I your think, first show? Uh,
3: yeah, I think I don't think it was the Coliseum. So there was a time where I was going every month to Nassau Coliseum, and they would sell tickets for the following month.
2: Right at halftime. Um, yeah.
3: Right, right, yeah, right yeah. after, or right, yes, or right during. You would right go right down to the box office, and I had a newspaper route back then, and I would immediately buy tickets for the following month and try to get a uh, good seats. But I think it was a local high school. I think it was Walt Whitman High School, and um, and uh, the Samoans came out, and I remember. Them throwing their towel, and now these were gigantic men, like three hundred seventy pound men, snap. and they're all they're, they're all related to The Rock, and you know yep. Rocky Johnson, and all Yokozuna. Like, sure, they're all All those guys are uh, right. Roman Reigns they are all related, and the Samoans um, were kind of the early. I mean, they're like they're The Rock's uncle, I think. But anyway, Correct. they're they're older now. They're the WWF Hall of Fame, but they threw their towel. One of them, Haka or Sika, threw their towel. And it was a sweaty mess, and I I caught it in the crowd. My father's like, "We're not bringing that home. Get rid of that." So I remember that being uh, <laughs> the local. The local cards were interesting because you would watch them, and a lot of times they would have the same match as the like a week later at Madison Square Garden, and it would be exactly the same match, like same finish, same four minutes, same you know. Back then, um, they, they had like jobbers, they had, like SD yep. Jones was one Enhancing of the better matches. jobbers, but yeah. Yeah, they would have guys who would lose all the time, and uh, they would put up put up against uh, the guys you wanted to put over, like the mass superstar or Bob Backlund or you know one of the Strongbows or something. And it would be exactly the same match. And even then, it didn't occur to me that it might have been <laughs> scripted or, or fake. Right. But yeah, I do remember a, a high
2: school. What was what was your first one? So uh, the first thing I remember w- seeing was the build to WrestleMania two, which was Hogan and Bundy, and I remember uh-huh. seeing. You know, on the the syndicated show that week, them showing the footage from Saturday Night's main event in Phoenix where, you know, uh, the Mr. Fuji had faked an illness so that so that uh, Bobby Heenan could be in the corner of Morocco to kind of set Hogan up. And uh, so that's when I started right. watching. And then the first angle that I was really, really personally invested in was Steamboat getting his throat crushed. And, you know, I was six at the time. And I thought he got his throat crushed, you know, and I was worried for his life. I remember asking my dad to, like, look in the paper the next day just to see if there was anything Mm -hmm. in there about it. You know, did they say that anything happened to him? And uh, WrestleMania 3 was a huge day, and I had the party, and Steamboat wins the belt. I'm losing my mind. Well, finally, my dad takes me June 2nd, 87, a couple months after, to Buffalo, to the odd where the Sabres played, for my first time Mm -hmm. at the matches, and Steamboat is defending the title and the first guy out to the ring's the challenger and it's the honky tonk man i remember telling my dad like oh this guy sucks you know steamboat's got this (laughs) he's gonna take care of this guy no problem and of course he loses the belt right in front of me you know i wow i I crowd i cried on my dad's lap for like 45 minutes he had to buy (laughs) he had to buy me nachos and the hulk rules foam finger in the in the lobby to uh (laughs) to to got me down he's like He's like, oh, Steve, you know, it's all right. Like Hulk's going to be out. And I'm like, yeah, Hulk's going to be out. So then we go back in the, in the arena and um, Fuji's got this guy who spits this green ooze in Hulk's face. So uh, that all was right. <laughs> that was my night. I got to see, you know, Hulk get green shit in his face and Steamboat lose the belt. <laughs> uh, and
3: well, th- wow, a, a, co- a couple of things about that. First of all, Honky Tonk Band, I think, held the Intercontinental title for uh, uh, for over a year, for the longest, yeah, time, 400, right? 400 yeah. plus days. So, yeah, that's one. Number two, was that the first title change in, in Buffalo? Because they were back even back then, it was almost always at Madison Square Garden, or yeah. Capital oh, yeah. Center or Boston Garden or or the Spectrum. But, yeah, so that had to be one of the first, if not the first title change. Right?
2: It, it was, in it's Buffalo. one of the few. I think there's been three or four yeah. in all these years, like uh-huh. three or four title changes. And it's crazy, too, because then, uh, right before WrestleMania 3. The British Bulldogs had lost their belts in in um, Tampa on superstars. Uh And then the strike force won them from the hearts in Syracuse. So right around (laughs) this time is when they started doing it on superstars, you know, kind of spreading it out to the markets and not as much MSG. But yeah, and then I was at WrestleMania six in Toronto. And Hulk lost to the warrior. I cried the whole way home. My dad's like, I'm not taking you to wrestling anymore. You get so sad. He's like, We're supposed to this is supposed to be a fun day for us, and you're crying on the way home. <laughs>
3: <Yeah>. <laughs> he couldn't uh he couldn't break the Santa Claus news to you then. He right, yeah, he was trying to K it, right? A lot of heartache. But, yeah. I was at WrestleMania too. I wore a kilt at Nassau Coliseum, uh part of that. That was three cities, three main yep. events. They had the Royal Rumble. Well, they had some kind of uh, battle royal in Chicago. Right. They had Hogan football. against Bundy in L.A. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, right, the football play, the Bears with a, and then uh, Piper against uh, Mister T. T and in in Nassau Coliseum. And I was there wearing uh, wearing my kilt and getting booed in front <laughs> of thousands of people. Well, you tell a, this.
2: From you tell me. this great story in the book about how your sister was a huge Cyndi Lauper fan, and you were already right. rooting for the bad guys before rooting for the bad guys was cool in the Attitude Era. And you were rooting for mm-hmm. Piper. It's funny because my daughter—I have a four-year-old daughter—and um, we watch '80s and '90s wrestling together all the time. And I have this other podcast mm-hmm. called Twenty Four Inch Podcast. It's like a Hogan podcast. And right now we're doing War to settle the score. So we were—I was just watching all that, you know, Lopper in the ring with uh, Dick Clark, yeah. yeah, and Piper smashing right. the the record over the head of uh, Captain Blue Lou, yeah, and Dave Wolf yeah. taking the slam. Um, So -hmm. I was just watching all that stuff and uh, you know it's funny my daughter keeps asking me she's like after you know after COVID can we see the wrestlers like do you think Hulk Hogan will be here wrestling Randy Savage you know did the mega powers explode (laughs) you know it's like she doesn't know yet that most of these guys are either dead or you know retired but, right yeah
3: well it's like yeah like we're showing your kids Star Wars like yeah these people they look like very old men and mm-hmm. or they the they're dead so it's very don't like, get too excited for a movie or, or meeting them uh, afterwards yeah but yeah I, was, I became very good friends with Rowdy Roddy Piper and you know we we wrote together i i helped him develop like a one-man show and his comedy act and i mean he was already naturally funny and everything but he got to put it all together and i was there to look at it and we have um you know we're working on stuff in his uh honor right now so
2: when i finished it all comes together when i finished reading that chapter in the book sal i put it down and i went and gave my daughter a kiss mm. and told her i was proud of her for Roddy.
3: <laughs> there you go yeah that's what Roddy would do. He would call me on the phone and then ask me why I was talking to him and not playing
2: with my kids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, amazing. Yeah, really sweet man. He did a he did a shoot interview uh, with this company called Kayfabe Commentaries, who are like the best at it. And uh-huh. uh, it's it was uh, it's they have this series called History of the WWF, and it's a timeline series. And he did 1984, and it's like a three oh, hour. Great. It's a three hour. It's uh, you got to see it. Tell it's unbelievable. You can see Piper kind of in real time fighting with himself where he wants to protect the business, but also he uh-huh. knows, like, this is his chance to say some of these things that he's been holding back. And you can kind of see the the battle he's having with himself. And it's just it's an unbelievable just three hours of where Piper was in his life. I think it was shot two years before he died. Um, you really? Know, yeah. yeah. And he's. he's I'd a, love to see it. Yeah, S- send. Me I'll get to it me to me you, if if you, you for sure. I'd love yeah, to, love to ch- check that out. I
3: mean, yeah, eighty four was eighty four was a great year anyway with the Olympics and everything. I thought music was terrific then, and then uh, except for Cindy Lauper, but they <laughs> uh, it was it, it started with Cobra Core in eighty four. Sergeant Flawter, who was a great heel, yeah, comes out in like January of eighty four and starts talking about the Cobra the Cobra Core in eighty four, so he turns babyface. Yep. And then you get to see like some of the greatest matches of all time, you know, like. Start of Hulkamania, so, uh, you know? Yeah, Hogan had beaten the Sheik, had beaten Backlund, and um, there was a lot of good stuff. And you know, it obviously led to WrestleMania One, which is kind of
2: where where it all started. John Wertheim has a book coming out called "Glory Days," which is about 1984. It's about wrestling and culture really? or, or sports, not necessarily wrestling. But he said there is a WrestleMania chapter, but sports yeah. and um, you know culture like the Bruce Springsteen album or, you know, 1984 by Van Halen. Just, it seems like a really cool book. I'm excited to check out when it does come out. Um, That would
3: be a good one to
2: look at. Yeah. Back when Damashek was a big part of the show and he would come on all the time for a few years in a row, Uh we did a thing where he would come on the day after your draft and I would be talking (laughs) to him. I'd be talking to him during the week and he's like, okay, if I, if he's like, if I get kicked out, I don't know if I want to do it, but as long as I don't get kicked out, I'll do the spot and I'll talk about who did and always had fun mm-hmm. with that. I was wondering because we had this debate once. Do you think that's the most famous fantasy football league? Um, It might be. Matthew
3: Berry's in one with Jay-Z, right? And but do people know about one- that? I don't know. Is I don't know like, that they do. I'm the, I, I mean, he's pretty popular, so he, here's know the ones I thought of. In his, his article, the the Howard Stern one was big, but I don't yep. even know if that's around anymore, right? With with Rappaport, and right? Everything. But here are the ones yeah, I, would I thought top of. Two or three for yeah. sure. Go ahead. I
2: thought of your league. I thought mm-hmm. of the emotional friends league. That's the Howard Stern league with Rappaport and Barry, right? Because obviously that got so much airtime on Howard Stern. I mm-hmm. thought of that one. I thought of the War Room League at ESPN, because that's the one I think that right. Matthew Barry talks about the most. Um, then right. there's a league through the Rich Eisen show with like the Allison Chains guys and Michael Fabiano, and Eisen is obviously uh-huh. in that one. So I thought of that one, but that's kind of my list, like of what I would think is maybe the most famous. You know, specific. Yeah, you might
3: you might know better than me. I, I would say the one thing about ours that keeps ours interesting and in the forefront. Well, first of all, Simmons and I are talking about it all the time. That's a right. pretty popular podcast. But yep. the other thing is, people want to figure out who got kicked out, uh-huh. every year, right? They want to <laughs> yeah. know if it's Simmons or Damashek or John Ham or me or or whoever. Um, and the shaky thing helps a lot too. That's a dumb thing where we have our uh, banquet every year. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, we most of us are well off, and yet we go to Shakey's <laughs> to uh, to have to have this meal with Mojo potatoes and amongst the worst pizza you'll find. So the the couple of wrinkles that we added to this, and addition to Simmons and Ham and everyone being involved, uh, I could see us being top two at least.
2: Yeah, how was the sh- was the Shakey game? The Shakey's meal affected by the extra playoff game? Because usually you knew you, yeah, had, yeah, the, we didn't even do you had the AFC game. We didn't, oh, COVID, you probably didn't even do it, right?
3: Yeah, we didn't even do it because of the dumb virus. But, um, yeah, a couple of us got together and watched a little bit on, uh, <laughs> on like, Zoom or something. But uh, obviously not the same, you know, when there's right. not a, you know, like a, a, a transsexual within 10 feet, um, <laughs> uh, you know, playing Scrabble. And uh, I'm not even lying. Like, at that point, like... Dungeons and Dragons, just just people just gather around all walks of life. Um, it's a it's a great place uh, for everybody to come together.
2: Yeah, you guys used to always know you'd be you'd be there for that AFC South Division winner playoff right. game, you know, or the uh, or the Andy Dalton game. Um,
3: yeah, either Matt Schaub or Andy Dalton <laughs> were in ninety uh, percent of those games.
2: Yeah. <laughs> you finally got voted out for the first time, right? I was did, that... it was
3: probably like five or six, five five or six years ago now. But okay. There was like a little bit of a coup because then your your boy Damish actually started it. Um, he thought he was. Uh, it, it, it ends up weird because ultimately someone votes somebody out, and that's how it is. The but champ. This year, the guy who won, right. right? The champ had just his wife had just given birth. He's like, I'm not in the mood to. Um, the, you know, I don't want to be mean to anybody, so I'm going to leave it up to a vote. You guys vote, which is not in the spirit of the rule, um, <laughs> really. But uh, And I say that because I was the one that got kicked out, so I'm still a little bitter. But yeah, then then people started huddling, and it was weird. I ended up really being like Survivor, and uh, I think I got like four votes, which was enough to kick me out. And I really, um, I really like, I did like 85 all the way home, really pissed off, and just trying, I just joined as if this was a spiteful move like anyone would care about, I joined a high-stakes league with people I didn't know just to get – Well, Simmons created the league this year, right, in spite? So he ended up doing the same thing. You really don't know how you're going to react until it happens. So, yeah, he he went and created a league. I think I can get him back. He claims he he quit for good. Oh, he'll be um, back. But I think I can get him back. He'll he'll be back,
2: right? He'll be back. Uh, Yeah. I wanted to talk because we mentioned Simmons and those early days – of the jimmy kimmel show i mean i remember mm-hmm. i was in college at the time and i remember watching you guys would have the guest hosts i remember like snoop dogg was a guest host that week and right you know people would be drinking it would just be the wildest tv like i just remember watching mm-hmm. those days those days of that show what, what do you remember just about those early days of it and sort of can you take me in some of the like behind the scenes chaos and everything that went down, I guess this is probably back in the days when Kristen was uh booking the, the guest, ho- the, the guest the celebrity. Yes. Dads.
3: Yes. Kristen, yeah. Kristen is very upset with me. Uh, she, I write about her in my book. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, God love her. She's a dear friend. And she got me because she then later went after she was let go or quit. However you want to look at it. Uh, she went to the WWE
1: right, and, and uh,
3: got me a storyline. Yeah. So she set up my match with Roddy Piper was, um, was actually training me and you know uh, i wrestled santino morel i'm I'm looking at a picture now of me uh, airplane spinning him but um back then she was booking and you know we had like joel millionaire a couple times that was a reality show (laughs) and she i think she tried to book rodney dangerfield a few months after he had passed away away. (laughs) it was really the wild west back then honestly it was like the hippest green room in hollywood it was like the hippest bar and to this day um you know actors come on aaron paul came on he's like bro i used to be in your green room i used to sneak in to your green room like right, a people a 20 just year hang old, out. yeah yeah it's like a, a lot of the guests would just hang out and they're like oh my god uh and, and then they ended up being on the show but yeah it was um it was crazy i mean we served that first night we served beer to the audience um and that you know, was the end, the end of that show route yeah. ran deep and then yeah they're all like vomited and then ABC's like, hey, we got to class this up a little bit. We're like, what? what? <laughs> this isn't what we bargained for. But, um, yeah, it was like one party. Uh, you know, we, we recorded. Uh, it really was live back then. So we recorded from 9.06 to 10.06. And none of us had kids back then. So we would just stay in the green room and party till like, 1 in the morning. And then we'd have to do it all again the next day, you know, right. five days a week. We, we would tape on Friday back then. But, yeah, it was, uh, it was spectacular. And we'll never see anything like it again.
2: Oh my god! It's such a funny, such a funny show for the viewer too, just to see kind of the chaos in action. It's just like really unbelievable. It reminds me of like the yeah. first. There's that, and then like the first year of Howard on Sirius. You know, are so similar with the, yeah. uh, with just the way they kind of broke, and you know, on the Howard side with Artie, you know, having a, a, uh, a keg of like <laughs> Jack Daniels that you know, like just craziness, but kind of remind well, me of that. Know,
3: that and that's not that's not by accident that it reminds you of that i mean jimmy obviously is the sure. biggest howard stern fan yep. and he always wanted his, his tv show to be howard stern show but on tv which stern actually had a tv show too but he wanted to take all of the charm of the stern stern show and you know bring in characters and luckily um it was the family was the right, characters that he brought in with right. my uncle frank and me and you know, there's some now, like, Yaya's and Obviously, Guillermo has been a sidekick for many, many years, but he wanted to be an all-inclusive thing where you find out about everybody's life and everything, and that would be the daily ritual. And, yeah, it really did start out like that, but then then it gets a little corporate, and, you know, people at ABC are like, hey, I'm going to lose my job if you don't clean things up here. So we got, like, a middle ground now going.
2: Do you have a favorite concert that you got to see because of Kimmel? You know, like the I know like uh Wolf Wolfie Van Halen is playing this week. You know, it's kind of his first time playing out since he uh got his own group together and I, I remember the Van Halen when the when um uh-huh. the album came out, the the new Roth album came out. They played for a few days back there. Did you get to see any like unbelievable you remember any unbelievable like music related stories from working with Kim? Oh yeah. Yeah.
3: Well, Coldplay. I mean, we shut down Hollywood Boulevard for Coldplay the first night. which right. Was the chaotic scene and uh, just terrific. Um, uh, I mean, there, there's so many. The Foo, Foo Fighters. They were on. There were people on rooftops all along Hollywood Boulevard for a stretch of a mile just to see them from the rooftops. Wow. Um, they were great. But I think McCartney shutting down uh, Hollywood Boulevard was um, unlike any anything else. I mean, he really, you know, nearing 70 years old at the time, still gave it his all. And, uh, you know, if you, if you blur your eyes, you close your eyes, it's like, wow, I'm listening to every Beatles song I've heard on the radio. And it sounds, uh, 93% of, uh, accurate.
2: I know you're a stern guy and, uh, you know, at least a little bit. And the picture of you throwing out the first pitch at the Mets game, when you're walking out there, were you thinking about Bowie at all?
3: (laughs) (laughs) I was thinking about it leading up to it. I was thinking about it and, um, and, oh, boy, I, I threw that first pitch a thousand times in my mind and then another thousand times preparing for it in the days leading up. And if anything, it was going to be just short, you know. Right. Uh, but I wanted to give it some oomph, too. You know, I'm like, I got to throw in the 50s at least. I'm not going to lob it. I met, I, I'm like, I have to throw from the mound. I'm not throwing from the grass. And I just reared back. I take it and throw it. And I, uh, and I did it. And I did. I dressed as, uh, not dressed as, but I had Jesse Orozco's jersey on. 47. The guy who closed out, number 47, closed out the 1986 World Series, pitches it, throws, uh, strikeout throws his glove in the air, and uh, jumps into the catcher's arms, and that's what I did. uh, Record was a gigantic uh, man and a backup catcher, and I jumped in his arms. And I looked up, and there were like 400 people in the stands, and they were like all camp goers. From uh, (laughs) you know, it was a a Tuesday after Tuesday afternoon in August. I think against the Pirates, by the way. And uh, so there was very few people there. and Those that were there didn't even get what I was doing because they were like eleven years old.
2: Right, they weren't around for '86. Uh, Right, that's a great bit. But uh, how much would you pay Prescott? I know. Oh me? Yeah. And if you, I don't have
3: enough. If 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 it depended on me, I wouldn't be able to sign him. I think he's going to get it. I think he's going to get the money. I think, and I so, think he too. deserves it. Too. I do too. I think they yeah. overpaid, you know, Zeke Elliott's the problem right now because he might be the second best running back on, on the team. And, and they went deep into the pockets for that. And right. they gave him $50 million back when you could maybe still pay a running back that kind of money. I think those days are over now. Oh, Derek Henry's keeping it alive a little bit, but, um, I think they love Dak. I think it's very hard to be a quarterback in Dallas. Um, they, You know, listen, before he got injured, he had great numbers. The year before, he had spectacular numbers. So it's not their offense that's a problem. You know, they had three receivers that totaled 3,000 yards this year. It's the defense. It gave up 30 points a game, second worst in, in history. So that's the side of the ball they need to concentrate on. That You don't, you don't want to screw with uh, Dak Prescott and what they have going right now. So I think he'll get his $40 million or they'll franchise tag him again, right. um, which, you know, probably won't be great for him.
2: Well, I know you love your team. I'm a guy who loves my team. I'm an out of market fan. I've been a Saints fan since 1987 in Buffalo. I've over 30 seasons, but um, uh-huh. yeah. So hopefully, you know, it works out for you for the Cowboys. But uh, huh, 30 minutes went by quick. Cousin Sal, yeah, is not is not here for his uh, health. Uh, he's here to promote the book. You can't lose them all. Tales of a Degenerate right. Gambler cover went away i mean i was trying to read the cover tales of a degenerate gambler and his ridiculous friends it's an easy read like sal said the chapters are short and it goes by quick and it's all over the place like this interview this interview is all over the place because the book is we <laughs> go from you know f- f- putting uh his sister who's dressed like sydney lopper in a sleeper hole to you know shakies to cowboy That's stuff right. it's really all over but um I hope you're you Got to su- cover it all. Right? Yeah, uh, that's the book. You can follow Sal. He's on Twitter, and uh, it's an easy one, right? It's just at the Cousin Sale. At, at the Cousin Sal. Yep, at right. the Cousin yeah. Sal. So that's an easy one to find. And then, of course, uh, extra points. You and my my mentor, Damashek are doing that venture mm-hmm. with the podcast. And then, of course, you're also on the Fox Bet Live show on FS1. And I think I got it all. Anything yeah. else you want to promote, or anything else yeah, you want to that's
3: mention? No, that's plenty. That's enough. I don't, you didn't even have to say that much. But yeah, you can't lose them all. Go to Barnes and Noble. Go to uh, go to Amazon. And uh, yeah, well, I'm just trying to make Jeff Bezos a little more money before <laughs> he
2: departs uh, officially. That was a good job by you, Sal. Good job, Sal. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> good job by you. Good job by you. All right. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Take care. So, could've used a few pounds Tight pants, points, hollering down. She was a black hat beauty with big dark eyes And points all her own, setting way up high Way up firm and high to thank Cousin Sal for being on the podcast today. Appreciate that. Fun little debut. Great having Sal in. He was really fun. I think the energy of Cousin Sal is pretty great. I wonder if he's like that all the time. Seems like it. Certainly on podcasts or anything I've heard him on. All right, book club update. I wanted to give a shout out to Cousin Sal's book because it wasn't kind of exactly in the book club, uh, but also it it was the kind of basis on which I pitched him. Uh, his book is called You Can't Lose Them All, Tales of a Degenerate Gambler and His Friends. And it's by Sale Iacono. and of course you can get it, you know, where you get books. You Can't Lose Them All, Tales of a Degenerate Gambler and His Ridiculous Friends. The other book that we've been kind of talking about on the book club here, uh, is called Hockey's Hot Stove: The Untold Stories of the Original Insiders, by Al Strachan. Strachan. I'm gonna learn how to say that, and I'm sure, however I said it, is gonna be wrong. Uh, but I've been getting, you know, I've been getting names wrong for ten years. Ask uh, Ask Ford Kendrick about that. Uh, Hockey's Hot Stove: The Untold Stories of the Original Insiders by L. Uh, I was also the author of the book Why the Leafs Suck, which I can give you a million reasons for that. Um and it's about time to get Al on the phone and do the interview. We'll do that soon. Uh, that's the other book. That's about it for the book club right now. Um, I gotta find some more books. I've been not in the mood to read, I guess. So I haven't been as aggressive with the book club as I probably should. But as we get closer to baseball season, you know, there, I'm sure there'll be a wave of baseball books released and we also got John Wertheim's Glory Days uh coming up at some point too. So looking forward to that. And I know Jeff Perlman has a book called Bo Jackson, but that's probably 2022, I think. Or a book about Bo Jackson. I don't know what it's called. My guess is that's probably 2022. So we'll see. All right, let's take a break. We'll come back. We're going to talk sports media with Michael McCarthy. Our second guest today is a senior writer at Front Office Sports. He also used to write about sports media in the USA Today, and he's making his second appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to Michael McCarthy. Hey, Michael, welcome back. How are you doing today?
0: Good. I'm glad to be
2: back. Really excited to have you. Um, loved it the last time. Can't wait to do it again today. And it's an amazing time because we were just saying before we got on, it is a just a packed and loaded and amazing time for Sports media news and a great time to work for a website that writes about that kind of thing, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, you'd think it would slow down a little after the Super Bowl, but it
2: hasn't. All right, well, let's start with the Super Bowl since you brought us right there. So the Super Bowl went way down, uh, 15-year low. I think the rating itself, hopefully this is right. I heard this on a podcast. The rating itself was the lowest in Super Bowl three. Um. Which is a wild stat. Um, obviously, in to- terms of total viewers, uh, wasn't that it was it was the lowest I think since uh, the early two thousands. Um, the Super Bowl is just another in a line of signature events in the twenty twenty slash twenty twenty one that took a huge hit. Right, like the Stanley Cup Finals, you know, fifty percent down. NBA Finals similarly down. Um, the World Series down. The Masters down. Kentucky Derby down. Is the Super Bowl just in line with that? Is it just the year for everyone to take a hit? And, hey, Super Bowl took a hit, but not like those other events. So let's look at that positive. Or is this something else? Is it indicative of some other thing? Or is it? are we just kind of saying, hey, that's how the year is and going from there? Where are you at on it?
0: I think there's a couple of points to unpack. Uh, number one, yes. This is the year everybody's taking a hit. Uh, as you said, some of the hits have been historic lows for the NBA Finals, NBA Finals, and uh, Kentucky Derby. Yeah, uh, it's Masters. Crazy Corona Corona pandemic. Everything that switched around. Sports were played and televised in time frames and months when they'd never been televised before. And it took its toll. Uh, and I, for one, am very concerned about it. I remember us all, all sitting around in March and April. I remember when the last dance was on and all the smart money was on sports ratings going through the roof when the live games returned. Remember? Yep. Oh, my God. Now, there's no live sports for four months, five months. The, the ratings are going to be incredible. Instead, the opposite happened.
2: Right. So we found other um, habits.
0: Still, yeah. And I, I think there's been a, a shift. In consumer viewing habits that we're just starting to get our uh, our arms around. On the other hand, this is point two. Uh, you know, the NFL uh, has had far lower uh, decreases than the other sports. Uh, if you look at the Super Bowl, it was kind of in line with what happened during the regular season, which was about an eight percent drop. Uh, however, I mean, the Super Bowl has to be concerned. I mean, the fact that the rating Went down to you know levels we haven't seen since Joe Willie Namath upset the Colts, and and the AFL still existed. Amazing!
2: That's amazing. Yeah, it's an amazing. Yeah, it's an amazing thing to think. You know, geez, Super Bowl three, we're almost to sixty. You know, that's amazing.
0: That's
1: fifty years ago.
2: Yeah, that's wild. You know, in the NFL, of course, like you said, sure they've been down this year. But it's more like a 9% drop, something like that. Almost like a, a drop where you say, hey, everything's down, but look it. We're still and, – and this is this is true no matter what. Super Bowl is still the number one watch show on TV this year. So, you know, it's it's not like they're not going to be getting millions of dollars or commercials anymore or anything like that. But it's just – Right. The we, yeah. we all have
0: to do about rating. is take a deep breath. There's a company called Nielsen. They put out this set of numbers. You know, I mean, these numbers are used to gauge viewership and price commercials. They're not the do all, the end all and the be all of sports. In fact, it, it kinda stuns me this last couple of years how important ratings have become. It used to be this esoteric thing that, you know, I'd write about in a USA Today chart and only the people in the business would care about it. But now everybody's debating it in sports radio and everybody's got an opinion and uh, the political left and the political right use sports ratings as ammo to, you know...
1: Sure.
0: ...to get yeah. you whatever you want to The whole thing is, has kind of blown out of control. They're just numbers, you know what I mean? They're just one little factor in a whole bigger picture.
2: Yeah, Andy Marchand, what is this, his line? Is everyone wants to cover sports media, right? Um, yeah, that's right. You know, uh, there was an interesting article on front office sports this week, the website you're on, Um by Abigail Gentrop about the finalization of these deals, the, the NBA, or excuse me, the NFL deals. So we're talking about the Super Bowl being down a little bit, but when we see the numbers on these deals, right, we're, we're going to forget that quickly because they're going to get huge money for the Fox and the CBS Saturday afternoon, which, which she reported that they seem to hold, and that M- she thinks NBC will hold Sunday night. Now, here's what really interested me this is what really interested me as an out-of-market fan of a team, a Saints fan, someone who's been tied to DirecTV in their, in their service for years, is that ESPN is be, being considered to take over uh, the DirecTV package. Now, that's really interesting to me for one a couple reasons. One, last time around, DirecTV fought like crazy uh, to keep that because I think they felt uh, there's a lot of their customers who are like me and uh, tied to that product only for the Sunday ticket. Uh, but They're AT&T now. They're not the same ownership, and it seems like they're willing to walk away from this, which shocks me, because the second that package is somewhere else, I'm probably going to be somewhere else. You know, get that ugly satellite dish that's got a 771 error code off the top of my house, you know, as soon as I can. Uh, But what about these TV deals as we get closer to them? Do you kind of seem to feel like Fox, CBS, NBC holds the line? You know, where is... ESPN and Disney, they really want a Super Bowl, right? So how do they get in that rotation? What about the uh, DirecTV? I know it's a lot in one, but what about the broadcast rights as they get closer? The NFL, I think it's reported, wants to have this done like in the next couple of months, by March.
0: The bottom line is the NFL is going to get paid. It is the most valuable, most fought over content, not just in sports, but in all of entertainment. I'm projecting that their uh, rights increases could reach 100%. They could double uh, their rights in these new uh, current deals. As for uh, ESPN, uh, I think ESPN, uh, Jimmy Pitaro and Disney have done an amazing job, and I should say Merck-Burke Magnus, too, did an amazing job repairing what had been a tattered relationship uh, with the NFL. Uh, You could tell that uh, it's working by by the fact that They got the draft back and, you know, Fox was out, uh, even though Fox had its nose uh, under the tent there for a while. Uh, I don't think there's any doubt that they are going to get a Super Bowl uh, in this deal and it's going to be aired on ABC, which would give the NFL a clean sweep of the broadcast networks. You know, what Disney has done that's smart is they're saying, look, we're not just ESPN. We're ABC. We're Hulu. We're a, a global entertainment corporation, so, you know what I mean, we could put your game on ABC and reach 30, 40 more million viewers who've left ESPN due to cord cutting or cord shaving.
2: Right, and, and it's funny, they're going to get a couple multi-billion dollar TV deals, and a lot of people are going to read that and be like, oh wait, I thought people stopped watching because of kneeling, or I thought people stopped watching because Colin Kaepernick's not on a team, or... I thought the Super Bowl was down or whatever. It's like wow, but don't forget this is still the king, you know. This is still the big dog, and they're gonna prove it here. You know, the the ABC I think thing is really interesting because they get it Super Bowl. The first thing I thought of is, wow, is Steve Levy really gonna call a Super Bowl? You know, it just fe- it, no disrespect to Steve Levy, uh, but if he's still the guy on that package, like is that their guy? He's a good play-by-play guy, but when I think of the Super Bowl. You know, I think of Nance and Buck and Summerall and, you know, uh, Al Michaels and, you know, Dick Enberg. You know, I that, that, that kind of gets wild to me. I wonder if they do land it. Do they try to upgrade that booth a little bit, that top booth? What do you think about that?
0: Well, that's a very interesting point. There's a lot of very interesting things going on. Uh, as you know, we reported in front office sports, Jim Nance is currently at loggerheads in his contract negotiations with CBS Sports. Uh, the idea is that right. Jim Nance wants something close to the $17 million a year that is on air partner for the NFL Tony Romo's getting. Now, if Jim Nance uh, doesn't get what he's looking for in contract, it is possible that he could jump over to Disney, ABC, ESPN. And then you could have Jim Nance uh, broadcasting Monday Night Football. You could have Jim Nance broadcasting NFL playoff games on ABC. You could have Jim Nance uh, broadcasting a Super Bowl. But let me make a, a point about Steve Levy. I did an interview with him uh, a couple of months ago. We did a video interview. We did a, you know, a written interview. I, I think Levy and company have done a great job this season. They, they really stabilized. Sure.
2: Him. Absolutely.
0: The viewership drops for Monday Night Football were lower than they were for the other packages. I think, you know, Levy has really grown into the job. I think Riddick's great. Uh, You know, Greasy. I think as a, you know, a team, I could see them calling the Super Bowl. I think Levy is just going to get better and better uh, if he continues to have a job. But, you know, you're you're right. I mean, as, as seen in the outside world, there's a few... Play-by-play announcers left who have that kind of gravitas and experience, where they just scream big game feeling. Nance is one of them. Al Michaels, Joe Buck, uh, Mike Tirico. I mean, it's a very short list of uh, you know six or seven uh, people. So that's the one thing that ESPN doesn't have, and they know it. You know, they don't have that big name play-by-play announcer who's sort of the face of the network, the way Costas was at NBC.
2: Right. That'd be wild if, uh, if Steve Levy got to call Super Bowl before Tirico, you know, just considering that Tirico left that job to go to NBC, presumably to call bigger events, um, you know, do the Olympics. He's doing that obviously for sure was part of it. Um, But I know. Yeah. I mean,
0: things have happened. I mean, they traded Al Michaels for a cartoon character. So I mean, this is wacky.
2: Just, just an opinion here from you. Um, You know, ESPN, they've, They've got so many headlines the last few years um, cutting big price talent and not getting to the level um, on talent and maybe positioning themselves where they want ESPN to be the star now, not, you know, Simmons or some of the people they've let go or or not extended. Do you think that do you really think ESPN slash ABC is willing to pay what it takes to get a guy like Nance? You think. Just your opinion. Do you think they'd really, in the end, put down that kind of money? you think they'd give Nance Romo money? I don't know if they'd give him Romo money.
0: But, you know, I, I could see them going in somewhere uh, in between what he makes now, which is six, and between what Romo makes, which is 17. You, you bring him down there somewhere in the middle, Nance becomes the highest-paid play-by-play announcer in the business, right? Sure.
1: That's a pretty
0: cool thing to make. You know, maybe he doesn't make uh, Romo money, or maybe he does hold out for for Romo money. But to answer your question, you would ESPN pay that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I mean, this is this is a business of one percenters now. There's the, the top right. one percent, or maybe the the half of percent of the people at the very top, the Stephen A's, the Romos, the true superstars who move the dial? They are going to get paid. It's the people in the middle, as you said. Noting the, the layoffs at ESPN, who are really taking the, the short end of the stick, because they can't get the contracts so Or they're getting their salaries are getting cut, or they're being frozen, or or they you know they're working on contract. So if you're one of those one percent, you know what I mean, one of the top voices and faces in this business, and certainly Nance is right up there. You'll get your money.
2: All right. Speaking of top names in the business and Romo and all that, you've been working today and put, a, put an article out in Front Office Sports about the future of Phil and Mickelson, and that TV could be his next thing, and that he's sort of set up to be the quote-unquote Tony Romo of golf, right? And I've heard this a lot since the emergence of Tony Romo. This cursed person could be the Tony Romo of this, or the Tony Romo of that, or, you know... Uh, Maybe Drew Brees will be the next Tony Romo. That's why NBC got in line for him. Or, <laughs> You're right about You know, that. maybe it's Phillip Rivers is going to be. The, it's like, uh, you know, it's almost like with uh, football coaches too when the the Rams got to the Super Bowl. You know, everyone wanted to hire the next uh, Sean McVay, right? And now it seems like TV, the, the big thing is we got to get the next Romo. And uh, golf is the top of the list on that right now. And Mickelson is their next Romo. Tell me about your reporting on this and what you think about the idea that he could actually, Do you think he could actually be, you know, do you think he could actually be it, the guy that's the, quote-unquote, Tony Romo of golf? Well, first, I think Phil is fantastic on camera. Right. Uh,
0: if you've watched any of the matches where you have, you know, access to the up-close microphones and the trash talking, you know, he's been the star. There's a reason why he's been in all three of them, because he's the most entertaining one, you know, outside of Barkley uh, in the whole match. Two, uh, I you know, I think... That that little uh, broadcast debut uh, he did last year during the PGA Championship where he did over an hour in the booth with Nance and Faldo opened a lot of eyes. People said, my God, this guy's terrific. Uh, he knows so much about the game. He's entertaining. He's got a, a huge social media follower. Fans love the guy. So do I think you know he could be the next Tony Romo? If there's anybody in golf who could be the next Tony Romo, it's Phil Knuckles.
2: Right. He's got legitimacy, you know, 44 wins, major wins. You know, he's a guy who's been willing to stare, you know, Tiger Woods down from time to time, which isn't... Which and he's is, funny. you know. Yeah. I
0: mean, what people like about Phil is he goes for it. He goes for broke. I mean, even last year uh, when he was on the PGA Championship, what's the first thing he did? He, he made kind of a... a a joke that was in poor taste, you know, and and, uh, the the telecast stopped for a second where everybody looked at each other, but that's Phil, you know, he's unpredictable. Uh, I think he would have a, you know, a little bit of that, you know, Johnny Miller element too, but he would also be a guy who's literally directly off the course now. I mean, across all sports, they want announcers who are right off the field, right off the floor, right off the fairway. You know, they don't want announcers who did, you know, did this 25 years ago. They want announcers who were doing it yesterday. I mean, this guy uh, won a tournament two years ago. You know, he won a pebble. So even at a, you know, at age 50, uh, you know, he could still bring it. The same thing, at the same time, as the film, this is this incredibly smart move. You know, he's 50 years old. He could either, you know, play on the Champions Tour, which, you know, to him wouldn't be much of a challenge. Sure. You know, beating guys who are 15, 20 years older. Or, you know what I mean, he could uh, stick with the, the sport he loves and have a complete second career as the new face and voice of golf. I, I think it would be a great move for him.
2: Now, the article that you wrote on front office sports ends with the question I think that is the most important. Can anyone pay him enough? You know, that's the question, and he wants, you know, allegedly, as, and does he want to call 10 to 20 turns? So how much is he going to want to do, and can anyone pay him enough to justify how much he wants to do, right? Like, if you're going to give him 10 million dollars or something a year and he's like i only want to do six tournaments or something well maybe that's not worth it uh but where do, yeah, you, where it, do you where do you think that, the balance that is, is there
0: it, that, that is the, the key question you know uh guys like phil have made so much money on the course and in endorsements; they don't need the money right. he's second only to tiger in career earnings 92 million never mind the tens of millions he makes every year is from commercials never mind if he takes a plane to Saudi Arabia you can get an appearance fee of a couple of mil just for playing the weekend so you know the question is you know does he need the money or want the money and how much would he want I hate to keep belaboring Tony Romo but there's been another uh Tony Romo effect here which is now everybody wants Tony Romo money right (laughs)
2: Right? yeah (laughs) everyone wants to hire Tony Romo and the guy who's going to be the Tony Romo wants the Tony Romo money to be hired that way right (laughs) Sight unseen, I mean, too. Sight unseen. At least Tony had to earn it after a year, right?
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, if, you, if you're if you in this business and these guys are such superstars that they have egos, they naturally think, hey, you know, if Tony Romo's getting that kind of money, I should get that kind of money. Right. Uh, you know, so if you're a network that's used to, you know, paying Lanny Watkins or, you know, one of these guys, you know, not much, uh, and somebody comes along and asks for that, that kind of money, you know, you, you have a heart attack. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I don't know. I mean, uh, you know, all, all these things are negotiable. It's really, I think, up to him. I mean, I think if he wants to do it, the networks would go all in.
2: Right. And uh, his net worth is listed at $400 million. So, um, $400 million, Yeah. <laughs> we'll have to see if that gets – He buy know. a
0: couple of tournaments, much right. less announcements.
2: Exactly. But, you
0: know, if you look at Phil, if you look at him during the matches and you look at him emceeing this thing for American Express recently, he's having the ball behind the microphone. He loves being a, a racking tour uh, and telling stories and, you know, ragging on competitors and, and, you know, playing the host role. I mean, he obviously enjoys it. You know, there's a little bit of him that's a ham. And, you know, and this is perfect for him.
2: The Sports Cats are here with Michael McCarthy from Front Office Sports, where he's a senior writer. And, of course, for years I read his column in the USA Today and other places as well, New York Times, Sports Illustrated. Uh, Having a good time talking sports media is one of my favorite things to do. A couple more and I'll let you go. As a lifelong hockey fan, you know, it's exciting uh, that the NHL package is sought after right now, that it's, you know, something that is – there's some buzz behind it. You know, people who don't normally – I guess talk about the NHL and I remember the last time around when they, re, I think it was a re-sign, or maybe it was the original deal, but I think a re-sign uh, with NBC, and, and the billion uh, word was there, and I just remember thinking, like, wow, you know, it's unbelievable that the NHL is getting this kind of deal, and, like, maybe I have to rethink Batman and my, my thoughts on him because I'm not a fan, but what do you think about their package? Uh, it seems like it's going to probably split up a little bit, uh, maybe there'll be a couple different networks. They'll be on sort of like the NBA package, which I, I think makes sense. Um, and and you know, I think it brings us to this idea of the streaming packages too, because you know, the NBC just spent a lot of money, uh, to get the WWE network on Peacock, um, and all these different networks, you know, whether it's ESPN Plus, Peacock, CBS now with Paramount. You know, I think they're looking at these streaming networks as kind of the new frontier and they really want to put as much content as they can. And I think the NHL is benefiting a little bit from this and maybe all sports leagues are going to benefit for this right now. Maybe like kind of with the rise of the uh, the RSA, you know, 15, 20 years ago, maybe this is kind of like that where, you know, everyone is kind of rolling with this and getting banked from it. What do you think about the, the NHL deal? Um, what do you think about streaming networks having a kind of a role in driving the price up, and what do you think about um, uh, multiple networks? Will it split, stay the same? I know a lot there again, but just talk a little bit about the uh, NHL rights which are coming up as well.
0: Yeah, to address your uh, points one by one, I said, yeah, number one, I think like the NFL, the NHL is going to get paid. It's a, it's a great sport. It has a loyal fan base. It's live programming. You could use it to fill a lot of holes in your schedule. Two, I think streaming is becoming increasingly important. I think um, ESPN Plus, uh, a big streaming network, already has a piece of uh, NHL, and they would love to get more. Right. Three, what is Bettman going to do? I think Bettman is going to follow the NFL model and the NBA model, which is rather than putting all his eggs in one basket, split if they that did baby with
2: him, up. Yep.
0: he's going to split it up amongst a couple of different uh, networks. That way you can play them off against each other to get the best price. Uh, that's not to a knock on NBC NBC has done a magnificent job with the NHL you know the outdoor hockey game etc cetera et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but you know business is business and the, the feeling I get from NHL people is they feel that their rights were undervalued the last time uh and that they're looking for a correction
2: sure sure yeah the, NBC has been good partners to them so I think they'll want to um want to reward that in some way but yeah in the end for a league like the NHL you know who knows if they'll, there'll ever be this much buzz again around the around the, uh, the right So it's almost like wow they've been blessed by just being due at the absolute right time you know everyone's building up their content you know it's an era where live programming is like the one thing that you can still count on Um, so yeah it's, 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 it's an interesting time for them alright last thing I wanted to go over with you and I've been kind of staying, saving it for the end but you um, last week had the uh the big story with jason whitlock and what happened with him at outkick and um you know it's an interesting time for sports media and kind of the we, we talked about it earlier with uh the way politics has come into to sports and sports media uh the last few years certainly since you know maybe like around uh the 2015 the start of the 2016 election cycle it seems like it really felt like it really really um built up you know for the first time ever on this show uh, one of my guests wrote me and said the only thing they wouldn't talk about was I'm trying to think how they put it something like Republicans who are making their money off of sports media or something like that which I was really surprised Uh, but you haven't been been, um, shy to talk about it at all obviously you had the deal with Whitlock there's the thing with um, you know uh, the former ESPN boss and Levitard they're maybe going to do a a left-wing version of that so let's let's kind of take it one by one here first of all what did you think about Whitlock and the way he described the split with Outkick now to him he said he didn't vet his partners properly and there was a third partner that's not Clay not him uh, that he didn't feel like was putting the proper amount of money in he thought it was gonna be 500k for his shares then they Clay said, no, it's going to be this other thing. Now, the response to the, your piece from them was, look it, he knew what the deal was. This isn't true that he was tricked in any way. What was your sense coming out of it? Did you feel like you believed one more story than the other? Were you surprised? Was this what you expected going in? Because going into your article, we were waiting for a while to, for Whitlock to kind of say what happened. Was this what you were expecting? Were you expecting, like more of a personal thing between him and Clay or like, what do you think happened there? Let's talk a little bit about Outkick and let's first do it with Whitlock leaving and what your impressions were of that since you're the perfect guy to talk to. I talk was to. surprised to
0: be honest. Yeah. Uh, I was surprised because it was a big mystery. Uh, you know, yeah. one day Whitlock who'd been going great guns for Outkick, literally crashing the website because his columns were generating so much traffic, suddenly stopped writing right, and, and put out a few cryptic tweets you know, explaining that, you know, something happened, but I'm not going to say what, and then I'll just explain it at a later day. So I was as curious as uh, as everybody else, because uh, it seemed like, uh, you know, a partnership that at first glance was doing quite well, you know, that they seem to be, you know, simpatico in their, their attitudes and their approaches and their political views or whatever, whatever you want to call it. So uh, I was surprised, but, you know, Two, when the exclamation did come from Whitlock, uh, I wasn't surprised. I mean, what is it the at uh, the heart of most disputes? You know? money, yeah. It's family, friendship, cash business, and creative,
2: money. cash and creative, right? Yeah. C- cash and creative, money, money, money. Yeah,
0: you know, and uh, you know, and, and also I think uh, there's a feeling by Jason. He said this to me in the interview that you know he you know, uh, signed up to something and he thought, you know, those promises weren't kept, Uh, you know, and then, you know, I I reached out to Abkick, and, you know, and their reaction was, look, everything we did was completely above board and, you know, he knew it all. Uh, I also thought it was interesting. uh, And this is why it's interesting. He was kind of hard on himself. He blamed himself. Right. Uh, He's one of those guys who's not, who doesn't run around saying I'm perfect. He was like, you know, if you want to blame, uh, you know me for it. Go ahead, because I, I blame myself for not, you know, uh, doing enough due diligence or doing my own homework. Uh, so yeah, it is. It was interesting. You know, he's always an interesting interview. I've interviewed him before, because boy, he gives it to you straight. You right. Know, you ask him a question, board, you get a straight answer. Uh, you know, there's no uh, pussyfooting around. There's no, you know. Weasel words. It's just uh, straight from the gut. Um, so, you know, it's over. I mean, even though uh, Whitlock's still living in Nashville, I don't expect there to be any kind of a reunion between him and Clay, you know, who obviously uh, that's his hometown of Nashville. I think he's heading to one of the big uh, political networks. I think he's going to be, you know, uh, working for either Fox News, uh, Glenn Beck's The Blaze, or both.
2: Right. Yeah, it seems like in the last year, he's really, you know, even while he was at OutKick, he was writing stuff. Stuff was popping up. He was, you know, appearing on um, Tucker Carlson more and, um, you know, writing columns that would appear other places. Maybe that was post the split. I don't know. But around that time, you know, he's written some. This is something I want to ask you about him because some people feel like he is he is writing in a provocative way and he, it's a calculated thing, you know, that people feel like he's doing this uh, to, to make to, for, for money, you know, like almost like a grift kind of, you know, and he's, right. and he's saying like, no, like these are my principles. This is what I believe. And like you said, he's a straight shooter and he's saying, I'm giving it to you straight, you know, and even if it's a controversial opinion, like, you know, the cake, the Black Lives Matter is the modern day KKK, which I think is a column he wrote very recently. You know, he's saying, no, that's my opinion. And I'm saying what other people don't want to say. I'm saying it and that's me. And then you have the other side saying, no, this guy's a grift. You know, this guy, he's just doing this, whatever. Where do you stand on him and that kind of debate? Do you think he's the one or the other or somewhere in between? What do you think about Will? Yeah. Like, he, yeah.
0: He's incredibly polarizing.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Incredibly. Uh,
0: I get so much, you know, reaction, you know, particularly from people who don't like him, who don't like his views, who don't like his, you know, don't like anything about him. He's been called every name in the book, a race baiter, a troll, misogynist, you know, yeah. you name it. Uh, I think he's given it to you from the gut because if he wasn't, he'd do more to protect himself. I mean, I, I literally asked him in the interview. I said, you worried, you feuded with so many people. Right. That becoming too toxic to hire, uh, you know, that the mainstream media won't won't touch you because at some point, you know, you've had a flame war with, you know, one of their stars. And he was like, no, he's like, my model is Mike Royko, the Pulitzer Prize winning columnist, the late great Mike Royko, who never gave a shit, you know, who he pissed off in Chicago as long as he felt he was right. And uh, I, I do believe with Whitlock, what you see is what you get.
2: Yeah, I seem to agree with that, too. And he is so incredibly, you know, anything, you know, like when I, I had Bobby Burak on from Outkick. First time in the 10 years of the podcast, I got two emails from people in sports email saying, like, I can't believe you'd give that, you know, that website um, a platform or whatever. And I was like, wait, what? You know what I mean? Like, right. you're, you're coming to me and saying, you know, like, that was shocking to me, you know, um. And then, you know, like I said, a sports media person saying to me, "I'll talk about anything, but not, you know, not Republican sports writers or something like some wording along that lines." You know, now you have the the other side maybe getting into this with the uh, with the uh, the skipper and and Labatard and maybe Jamal Hill. You know, it's like wow. And today's the day. You know, as I know was record this. Rush Limbaugh passed away today, and you know I think about him, and uh, you know. He's a, he's a guy who really you think of all the republican voices out there and in mainstream media radio wherever it's like that's the guy who i don't know without him and, and and his work would that would that subculture exist i don't know um but here we are in, in 2021 you know the just the peak of this polarization and of and sports is in the middle of it now. Where do you think this goes? You know, like, where do you, do you think that this has a this kind of reporting? Do you think it has a shelf life? Do you think it gets bigger and bigger? I mean, one thing that Clay has said, even with or without with Locke, is that, man, OutKick is just growing and growing and growing beyond our wildest expectations. You know, I, I'm taking him at his word. I'm not, I am don't know, but um, where, where do you see this? Where is it going? You know what I mean? Like, when you look out two, three, five years in the future, what do you think about this kind of sports... Websites yeah, I, I and reporting.
0: I, I've gotten similar feedback. I mean, I have always thought as a reporter, our job is to talk to everybody. Right. You know, whether or not you agree with them or disagree with them. You know what I mean? We're supposed to be uh, neutral observers. We're supposed to be the funnel uh, through which people can make up their own minds. Um, you know, and, and I think it's uh, incumbent upon us, maybe more incumbent, us to, to agree with people maybe you personally disagree with uh, because. You know, this is a free country, and uh, I'm a free speech absolutist. Uh, in terms of, you know, where that goes next, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it certainly seems like the media is becoming more tendentious, uh, that the idea of, you know, being neutral or being independent is somehow, you know, kind of fading, and everybody's taken a side. So if you're on one side and this person that you're covering is on the other side, that he or she is a villain and vice versa. Uh I'd hate to see us go down that road, you know what I mean, because that's opinion journalism. There's nothing wrong with opinion journalism. I, I just don't want to see opinion journalism masquerading as straight journalism.
2: Right. Yeah. That's a that's a great point. You know, I was thinking about, you know, over the years of this podcast, I've had some extremely left wing People on the show, Jeff Perlman, you know, Will Leach, Richard Deitch, um, people who are extremely forward, you know, with their views and honest about how they feel, you know, um, from the very far, far left views um, and enjoyed the conversations as someone who, you know, is uh, never voted for a Democrat in his life. That's where I come from. You know, I'm a New York Reagan Republican, you know, so to speak, but um, never heard a word about that being a problem. You know, and then one time, you know, have a uh, kind of an innocuous, I thought, uh, person like Bobby Burak who, you know, I guess has has made it a point to make his feelings known that he's a right, um, a right leaning guy, uh, and then there was a just a, a pushback. I mean, only from two people, but still, like to have any was just wild to me. You know, it's just a really interesting, a really interesting time um, for that.
0: Yeah, I mean, if you wanna, if you're, if you gotta beef with somebody. Have that conversation. That's what I've always believed. You know, I asked Whitlock, you know what I mean, about his columns critical of Katie Nolan and Maria Taylor and Sarah Fuller. You know what I mean? You know, I asked him flat out, you know what I mean, if he regrets these things or, you know, his response that uh, people feel that he doesn't respect respect women in sports. Uh, I may not, you know, agree or disagree with anything he says, but give him a say. You know, I, I think we should give everybody their say. Uh, and then, you know, let the readers make up the minds themselves.
2: And it makes for really interesting content. Um, and that's why frontofficesports.com has went to the front of my bookmarks on this stuff, just because you're just putting it out there. Hey, this is where this is what it's at. And like you said, I can make the conclusions from there. Uh, at, at, I mean, you know, the Whitlock in, Whitlock was outspoken in his interview. as Jamelle Hill was in
0: her interview with me. And Jamel Hill was a great interview. You know what I mean? I have tremendous respect and admiration for what she's done. You know, they're coming at it from different uh, points of view. Sure. But boy, you know what I mean? That's the kind of interview you want as a journalist rather than somebody, you know, just playing it safe and mouthing platitudes.
2: Right. And it's amazing to me that anyone would say that either one of their points of views are without merit, you know, like just based on what the point of view is like, you know, you got two people there and Hill and Whitlock very, very far apart, but who's to say that either one of them, they both feel like they're on the side of the righteous. You know, they both feel like uh, they're, we, we we would both agree that their opinions are genuine. At least we've established that in this interview with Whitlock and we both, I'm sure we both feel the same way about Jamal Hill. So why, why would there ever be a problem with allowing them to, you know, speak about their points of view and, you know, go from there. That's always been interesting to me. So I, it's a really strange phenomenon, I guess. And it seems like you feel the and same what, way. One of the,
0: nice, one of the nice things about this is they're writing again. You know, when Jamel sure. was on TV, Whitlock was on TV, they weren't doing their columns. And, and, you know, now when you read, you know, Jamel in the Atlantic, you know, you remember what a great writer she is. You know what I mean? How she, you know, she frames her stories and how she frames the debate, and you know, how she makes her points. And, you know, it was the same thing with Whitlock. I'll I'll never understand why Fox didn't let him write columns when he was there. Right. You know, because (laughs) if you started writing columns again, you you realize this guy's a great columnist. Even if he's polarizing, you hate him and, you know, you totally disagree with him.
2: You know, it's a great point, too, because we've lost so many great writers to the money of TV. Right. Whether it's Tony Kornheiser, you know, or Michael Wilbon or Bill Simmons or Frank DeFord or, you know, whoever. These guys that are Damon Hack, who was an amazing uh, writer for Sports Illustrated now he talks about golf on TV you know and he's one of my favorite people huh? in sports media but and every time he's on the show I tell him like man I trade everything to hear one more read one more game story from you you know an SI or whatever but yeah that's a great point so yeah I'm all for the m- more people writing uh, let me give some plugs for yeah. it. it's at MCarthy reV uh, maybe there's a better way to say that at M McCarthy. Yeah. Rev. Is that M. how he... – McCarthy Rev. Yeah. That's the Twitter handle. That's my Twitter handle. Yeah, he's a senior writer for Front Office Sports, which is at FOS, a little bit easier handle to get out there. Uh, FrontOfficeSports.com. Those are the places to find his work. Anything else you wanted to plug or anything like that? Obviously, the Mickelson piece uh, today. No, is... uh, you know, just,
0: uh, a shout-out to all my uh, colleagues and editors and reporters at Front Office Sports. The place has grown like gangbusters. Great site. Uh, yeah, great site. We're, uh, we're breaking news, big news, you know, like the Phil Nicholson story. We're getting the big interviews. So knock on wood, we'll
2: just keep it going. You guys are breaking news. Now, not quite to the level as fake Rudy Martsky, who's just out there with every scoop. <laughs> <laughs> but you guys are doing Nobody
0: good. Nobody uh, can break news to the level of uh, Rudy Martski. Yeah,
2: fake Rudy Martsky, of course. You know, the original guy, that's a legend. But fake Rudy Martsky, he's a different breed. I mean, that guy's just out there. Just breaking every, <laughs> every, every announcer assignment known to Manning's first on it, you know. Yeah. All right, thank I, I you. Told go ahead.
0: Rudy, you got. Know, yeah. Days at USA Today, and uh, and he was always great with me. Uh, you know, when I was uh, you know starting to do uh, sports stuff, he was very, very encouraging, and you know, he was kind of a character. Uh, you know, the the business literally uh, walked in fear of uh, Rudy And I, I don't think we'll ever say anything like that again.
2: Do you, wait, do you are you shifting your view a little bit that you think that fake Rudy is Rudy? Are you saying that? No, I don't think fake Rudy okay. is it. I was
0: talking about my relationship with the real life okay, Rudy yeah, who I work with the USA Today.
2: Okay, that's what I thought because we talked about that last time about how great he was yeah. and that we agreed that this guy is not that guy. Um, I was just making sure I didn't yeah, that. I don't know
0: who fake Rudy Morski is, you know what I mean? He, uh, you know, he makes me laugh. He asked me one time, you know, what what makes you think it isn't being Because I don't think so, you know. <laughs> I told him that I, I know the real Rudy. Yeah. Know, and I, I don't think it's you. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, you know, he's, ha- he's having fun with his thing. So, you know, God love
2: him. Yeah, he, he wrote me on um right before the Super Bowl. And uh, he's trying to schedule an interview with me. And the, he likes to play this game where he schedules the interview and then just doesn't do it. You know, and he's whole and, and so like, if you know, at first at first I admit I believed him when he said, no, I'm the real guy. You know, I'm just old and retired and trying to lay low, whatever, you know, but then it was obvious it wasn't him and whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, I said, no, I'm not interested. You know, everyone. I, this is what I said. Exactly. I said, everyone I know in media said you are not Rudy. <laughs> and he wrote back and said, oh, Michael, I see. Of course he told you that lie. So he thinks you're out there lying on him for sure. I didn't mention you at all, <laughs> <laughs> and that's what he said. So he th- hey,
0: look, you know what I mean. You know, if if he's the real Rudy, you know, I'll one hundred percent say I was wrong. You know, <laughs> uh, he asked me the same question one day. You know, on Twitter, he said, "You know, like I said, what makes you think it isn't me?" And I said, "Because I because I know Rudy, and I, I don't see him doing this." Uh, But, no,
2: I've got nothing against the guy, you know? Yeah, I told him him the reason that I didn't think it was Rudy is because a professional like Rudy would never schedule all these interviews and then just cancel them like that. You know what I mean? I said there's no way that this guy worked all these years in the business and would just, like, be that, you know, rude with people's time and things. You know, like, there's just no way. There's no way he would do that. And He just ignores that. But, listen, thanks so much for doing this. I had a blast talking about all the – all the different topics it's a loaded time and i and i would think that as uh as the year gets going there'll be more and more so hopefully we can do it again uh again soon my pleasure thank you I want to thank Michael McCarthy and Sal Iacano for being on the podcast today. Don't forget, you can hear their interviews and all the interviews from 10 years of the Sportscasters on our SoundCloud page. It's soundcloud.com slash sports casters. You can also find us on Twitter at sports underscore casters. Email me the sportscasters at gmail.com. Also on the Sportscasters feed lives the 24-inch podcast. Me and Dave Rollins from New Jersey. He's in shoveling hell right now. You can find that at 24 Inch Podcast on Twitter. It's the number two, the number four, the word inch, and the word podcast at 24 inch podcast. That's also the email at 24inch podcast at gmail.com. About every other Monday we do a show. Uh, we just did one on the war to settle the score, which uh, as of this day, the day I'm recording. February 18th that's the day it happened in 1985 so if you're listening on the 18th maybe a good reason to listen to that and our next 24 inch podcast um, I believe we're going to talk about the uh, the John Stossel thing Hulk Hogan going upside the head of John Stossel and we're basing it around a match uh, from the Met Center in Minneapolis and we talk about it at the end of the last one also, don't forget about greetings from Allentown, Peter Winson. It's at GF Allentown Pod. His new episode released today is a clip show about the Macho Man Randy Savage, which is timely because he and I are working behind the scenes on a new Adams Division podcast where I'm going to give the top 10 Hogan matches. He's going to give the top 10 Savage. And it's not, you know, based on star rating, it's a favorite thing, my favorite, his favorite. He also does greetings from Greetings from Allentown Live with Keithy. Uh, Those usually come out on the weekends, and the last one they did is about Saturday night's main event from 1986 when Jake and Savage had an all-heel match. My friend Adrian Dater, I was on his podcast last week. He's at ADater on Twitter, and he is in Tahoe covering the Avalanche uh, as they play in some outdoor game in some incredible scenery in Lake Tahoe. Looks really cool. At a data on Twitter, follow him if you're interested in what's going on in Tahoe. All right, uh, that's it for that. One last thing for me today, and on February sixteenth, which was Tuesday, uh, it was my grand would have been my grandmother's ninety second birthday, and it passed without without a. Th- A word from anyone, you know, just, you know, it's crazy because when my grandmother died way back in 1995, it was partially so sad because she just felt so young and she had struggled for a while. So, you know, when she got sick, she was even younger. And then when she died, she was still young. And it's funny to think that if she lived and she was still alive, she'd be 92 today. So she'd be really old really old Uh, and we've talked I've talked a lot about my grandmother on this show you know obviously I named my daughter Paula in her memory it was like one of the top five things one of my top five dreams I wanted to do in life was have a daughter and name her Paula you know and thanks to my wife I was able to do that so I've I've told a lot of these stories you know I've talked a lot about her on here and I've told a lot of these stories and then her birthday happened And I just didn't hear from anyone, you know, and I don't know. I don't know what should have happened, but I didn't like talk to my mom that day about it or my aunt or my uncle or any of my cousins or my brothers. I didn't call them. They didn't call me. I don't know. One day it was the 15th. Then the next day it was the 16th. And the day after that, it was the 17th and her birthday just passed. And I remember when it was coming up to her 90th birthday, I had suggested that we do something to celebrate her 90th birthday, but we didn't. And, you know, part of it is I think, you know, people deal with grief differently. You know, some people are like, yeah, let's celebrate. And other people are like, oh, I don't want to think about that. And any way you grieve is fair. I'm not criticizing anyone. But I don't know, I wanted to, I I wish that we would have all been together somewhere a couple days ago just telling these stories. And I was thinking, you know, what am I going to say about my grandmother on one last things because I told the stories. And then I said, well, you know what, maybe some of those stories just deserve to be told 92 times. You know, maybe the story of my grandmother at age 12 getting on a boat in Italy with her sister who was four. And all alone traveling across the Atlantic Ocean to the United States, all alone with just her sister until she reunited with my great-grandmother on the shores of Ellis Island in New York City. Maybe that story needs to be told 92 times. Maybe once a year, every birthday, you know, maybe someone should tell that story. Whether it's on this podcast or at a restaurant or on a family text chain. You know, like, maybe we should just do that. So, you know, maybe there's someone who shut this podcast off already because they heard this story or they don't care about my grandmother or whatever, and that's fine. But you know what? The way I'm looking at it is, you know, I'm mad at myself because how did I let her birthday go by and just, it just went by like that? Just went by like that? Just that day just doesn't even matter anymore here? I don't know. That seems shitty. And I know, you know, some people like my brothers, they just they don't have the memories. And my brother, Anthony, was four years old in 1995. Four years old. So what does he remember? You know, I I remember when I was not feeling well and going through surgeries in 2019 through 2020 remember telling my doctor, like, you know, I just want to live long enough where my daughter's going to remember me. You know, I want her to be able to remember me. I don't want something to happen now. And then she's going to look back and say, yeah, I had a dad, but you know, I don't really remember much. He was, you know, a good guy. He named me, but I don't really remember him. You know, most of my life has just been my mom and the stepfather I got or whatever. You know, that kind of thing really... Scares the hell out of me. But, I don't know, just the stories, my grandmother's stories. The life she lived, the time that, you know, when she used to make me noodles, or the time that we were laying together watching Monday Night Football, and she wanted me to turn the TV off, but I thought I was cool because I was at Grandma's house, and I was up watching Monday Night Football, which didn't even start until 9 o'clock then. And Joe Namath got his leg broken in half. And my grandma just happened to look up at the TV and saw it. And she's like, you got to turn. What the hell? She made me turn it off. She gasped at the sight of Lawrence Taylor broke it, breaking his leg in half. And the TV went off. And that was it for me being cool watching Monday Night Football. It was back into bed with grandma. Or watching, you know, watching Golden Girls with her. Or going to her company picnic with her. You know, I was that guy in my family. I have five she had six grandchildren, right? And I was the one of the six that got to sleep in her bed with her. And I was the one who got to, you know, go to her company picnic. And I was the one that she babysat and bought Christmas presents for. You know, I was that grandchildren. I was that grandchild. Because even by the time my brother Greg was three or four years old, you know, she was sick then. You know, there's a picture of her with my cousin Paulina. Paulina. When my pu- cousin Paulina was born. And I think that's 1992. February of 92. And she looks sick in the picture. She's obviously ill in the picture. So I guess it's on me. To tell these stories right. And 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 I failed the other day. I let it go by. You know I probably should have texted my mom. And said hey remember that one time. Grandma did this. Or tell me a story. Tell me one of your stories about grandma. Should have texted my uncle or my aunt. I don't know. I guess she's been dead for 16 years, so we just don't think about her birthday anymore. I didn't. You know, I'm not even worried about anyone else. It's like, what did I do? I I feel bad. I feel guilty. I feel awful because I let the day pass. I didn't tell a story. I didn't ask someone for a story. You know, Paula and I, we read James and the Giant Peach because we're reading that. We should have put James and the Giant Peach under the bed. and I should have told her a story about Grandma Paula. On her 92nd birthday, she would have been 92. I should have told her about when she was a 12-year-old girl and she got on that boat. should have told her that story. You know or I mean? It doesn't have to be that dramatic, right? Like maybe I should have just told her a story, you know, about she was cooking me noodles and I was in the living room watching John Taylor win the Super Bowl. You know, that's where I was for that Super Bowl. 88, right? Brown, uh, Bengals and and 49ers. My grandma was cooking me noodles. Noodles and gravy. She was in one room, I was in the other room watching John Taylor win the Super Bowl, him and Joe Montana. And Joe Montana saw John Candy in the stands. You know, just a little story like that. And look, I don't have that many. You know, even for me, you know, I was like around 9 years old, 10 years old when she started to get sick. And I have some sad stories, and I've told them here. And Today just doesn't feel like a day for a sad story. you know. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with this. I just know I, I feel like I didn't do enough on my grandma's 92nd birthday. So I want to do more on her 93rd. You know, and we all have these people in our lives that we miss. And I don't mean you need to go post on social media or anything like that because that's silly. But I don't know. Let's just – I know I got to do a better job remembering my people, you know, especially her, especially her, you know. I just don't think it's right, so what – We're not going to celebrate her birthday anymore. I'm not going to celebrate her birthday anymore. Man, I failed. I got to do way better, way better than I did. Because what a life she lived. What a brave, brave woman she was. You know? And I think of the qualities, her bravery, the way she was a dedicated mother, a passionate grandmother, The way she took care of people, those are the qualities you want for your daughter, right? So that's why I named her Paula. You know, maybe she can be like how she was. But how could she be like she was if I'm not there telling her how to be? So it's a reminder to be better. And I'll say this. Happy birthday, Grandma. Happy 92nd birthday. I'm still down here thinking about you. And I love you.
1: i